Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 188 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. You are joining us for the topic of body autonomy and listening to your inner wisdom with amazing guest and personal hero of mine, Dr. Christiane Northrup. So before we get into our incredible conversation, we just want to have a quick word from our opening sponsor for this episode, Further Food. Further Food products are the highest quality collagen, gelatin, as well as health food tonics. And you guys know we absolutely love their grass-fed collagen. It's pasture-raised. In the case of their marine collagen, it's wild-caught if you do experience a beef sensitivity, um, non-GMO, hormone-free, antibiotic and they really draw upon a robust community of functional medicine, doctors, practitioners, nutritionists, RDs, and other health heroes to inspire their product formulation. And these are products that, you know, Allie and I use pretty much every single day. We're putting collagen um, in our coffee or we're doing gelatin gummies in our households. Um, using their mindful matcha tonic or their turmeric tonic um, that are infused with different superfoods and adaptogens. So head on over to furtherfood.com and use the code Alley15 for savings on your first order. All right. So Dr. Christiane Northrup is a visionary pioneer in women's health, a board-certified OBGYN with more than 30 years of clinical experience, a former assistant clinical professor of OBGYN at University of Vermont College of Medicine, and a three-time New York Times bestselling author of Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, The Wisdom of Menopause, and Goddesses Never Age. And in 2013, Reader's Digest named Dr. Northrup one of the 100 most trusted people in America. In 2016, she was named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, which is a group of leaders that use their voices and talent to awaken humanity. And in 2020, she was included in the Watkins Spiritual 100, which is a list of living people that make a unique and spiritual contribution on a global scale. She's internationally known for her empowering approach. Dr. Northrup embraces medicine that acknowledges the unity of body, mind, emotions, and spirits, and teaches women to create health by tuning into their inner wisdom. After decades spent transforming women's understanding of their sacred bodies and the process, Dr. Northrup now teaches women to thrive at every stage of their life. Dr. Northrup was also hosted eight highly successful public television specials, and her work has been featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Today Show, NBC Nightly News, The View, Rachel Ray, Good Morning America, 2020, The Dr. Oz Show, and now 
the Naturally Nourished podcast. So we cannot wait to have on this rebel rock star authority on body autonomy and really women's rights. And without further ado, this highly accredited woman is going to grace us with her presence. So welcome, Dr. Northrup, to the Naturally Nourished podcast. What a pleasure to be here. <laughs> we are very excited for today's conversation, and I feel so deeply that it is truly divine intervention as I rediscovered you just a couple months ago when you were doing work in the East Coast on body autonomy in Hartford, Connecticut, and um, speaking out there about the mandated vaccine policies. And it was like a second circling. I, I knew I recognized your name because I read Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, and that was the biggest driver of me learning about more functional medicine and women's hormones. And you got me off of oral birth control and help me find balance in my body. So it's been a process. And I think that this is the time that we were supposed to cross paths again. There is no question that, you know, I call this time the great awakening, which is a, you know, kind of an astrological thing having to do with a Pluto Saturn conjunction. And this has been foretold by so many wisdom traditions for so long. It's just that we never knew what it would look like. So here we are. Yes. <laughs> okay. So let's dig in and just start maybe a little bit on the lighter side of things and Good. talk a little bit about kind of your call to action in finding your own intuitive light. Um, so what's this all about? Kind of what has created this awakening for you personally and, and in today's climate? How does a burned out and exhausted mama even find her intuition and, and hear that voice in herself? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> and especially, you know, right now, plus my own daughter has a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And so I'm up close and personal with what that looks like. And she works from home. And so what you need to do always to find the intuitive voice is to slow down and understand that all these, all these shoulds, right? You should have a home-cooked, organic, non-GMO meal every night. You know, you should read your children a story. You should make sure they're never on screens. All those things. Um, pale in comparison to a tapped in, tuned in, turned on mother who's connected with the rhythms of the earth. And the rhythms of the earth are slow, but we're, yeah. we're in springtime now here in the Northern Hemisphere. Obviously, you have listeners in the Southern Hemisphere where they're moving into fall now. They're moving into putting their energy deep into the ground. But for us, it's moving up. So what you want to do to tune into that is stand on the earth as much as you can yeah. barefoot. Look at the moon as much as you can outside. The moon uh, literally will detox negative emotions and take your kids with you. You know, I, I had a father who used to wake us up uh, when there was uh, aurora borealis or whether there were, when, if there were comets or so I remember once he brought a baby owl into our bedroom um, and always there was this connection with nature. Now, even if that is planting some seeds in a pot in your apartment, anything like that to slow you down to the pace of nature so that you remember 
And mm -hmm. one of the things that this, um, <clears throat> I call it the pandemic, has done is it has slowed each of us down or it, or it needs to slow each of us down. What would you actually like your day to be? So I have friends who are now saying they resent having anything scheduled. Sure. <laughs> because they've gotten so used to, well, you just kind of wake up and you, another friend of mine said, I really ought to be learning a language, but instead I'm watching reruns of Downton Abbey. <laughs> why, am I, why am I doing this? But I think it's, we're all just finding our innate rhythm. And if you could remember being a kid, um, when there weren't, you know, all this uh, screens and all of that stuff, yeah, then you can, you know, I watch my daughter's neighborhood and um, there's a lot of little kids and the parents have all sort of agreed to just stop the trying to get the kids to not touch each other and the neighborhood dogs Thank and all God. that, right? <laughs> and so there's a, there's a marshland there with a lot of frogs coming in. And um, so anyway, they're, they're, the kids are out in nature. They're gathering sticks in the, in the woods. They're, you know, they're doing a lot of chalk on sidewalks or driveways. Um, it's really slowed down. And I think that that is the, that is the main thing, to use this time. The, the one thing I'm seeing that is fascinating to me is those kids who are in school systems where they have to be on a screen from let's say 8.30 in the morning till three in the afternoon uh, to do their classes. Right. And then two to three hours of homework. And uh, I have some friends who are just saying, we're done. We're not doing this. The children are beside themselves. Their eyeballs are turning red from all that screen time. And we're going to see, I believe, a revolution in education. Because my homeschooling friends, my people in uh, the Bronx and New York, who were forced to homeschool by the vaccine mandates, um, said what's happening is this wonderful sisterhood of yeah. cooperative parenting. And uh, they're all finding that their kids, many kids are loving it and they get everything done in two to three hours a day. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and led by desire and curiosity, <laughs> which is <Yes>. very different. <laughs> yeah, completely. And, and, that we yeah, imprint. And then, right. And then, you know, what I always say is that if this continues, nobody will need to get over the wounds of the eighth grade, which have the half-life of uranium. So that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and how about aside of the scope of right now, what's going on as far as the shelter in place, and we'll, we'll full circle that for certain, but connecting with your own intuition, how about as a woman in healthcare, um, and, and not as an, a healer, but as a patient? Because um, you know that's a big topic of what we're going to unpack today. When your practitioner is telling you a solution that doesn't feel right, what is, what is a step of action or, or, or how do we validate that if we feel like, well, I don't really know what they're saying or what that all means. I should just do it. That's the way. Yeah, I know that. Well, I think that that's been the old way. They yeah. must, okay, here's, here's, the, here's the dialogue. They have an MD or a DO or a, uh, whatever. And they must know more than I do. Well, I'm not a doctor, they are. And so often I'll hear women say, well, you know, I'm not a doctor, but, and I always wanna remove the, 
it doesn't matter if you're not a doctor, you're the one in your body. It's kind of like, you know, well baby checkups, which I knew 30 years ago. I knew that well baby checkups were mostly simply a way to medicalize the child and get them to accept the vaccine plan as a health plan. I always, I always knew that. In fact, when my kids were little, they said, are we ever going to go to the doctor? I said, Prob- probably not. No, right. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea. So they're not medicalized. And they're also, they, they never had a religion to recover from either, but they feel deeply spiritual, you know? Sure. So I, I think that this is a perfect time because, you know, you can't go. I mean, you know, my acupuncturist uh, stopped when this whole thing came on, my massage therapy, in other words, my healthcare, massage therapy, um, Pilates, and uh, acupuncture just went away. But I never had any other healthcare. I mean, I've got someone named as my physician, and they'll occasionally send me things like, you know, that I laugh about. It's time for your annual mammogram, really? Because I've never had one of those. And I don't intend to stop anytime, to start anytime soon. So I, I believe that this is a time. And, and let me be very clear. There are wonderful things that the, that the conventional medical system does. There are wonderful things. But in general, it's not a health care system. It's a health scare system. Yes. And uh, so this is a perfect time to tap into your own intuition. Um, you know, one of the things that my, my colleague Kelly Brogan, uh, who wrote the book, A Mind of, of Her Own, and then the second book is Own Your Body. Um, it is a very difficult, but ultimately incredibly fulfilling thing to reclaim sovereignty over your own health. And to understand that your body is, it, it's a manifestation of ideas. Your immunity is wired in by your sense of safety and security. Um, the sun gives us vitamin D. We have uh, studies from the past that showed that tuberculosis was cured by lying out in mountain air with sunlight. Um, so we're, we start to do those things that feel good, you know, sitting in the sun putting your feet on the earth, slowing down, paying attention to your breath, maybe doing some meditating, some yoga, some stretching. And you begin to find that the ultimate healer is right inside you. Yeah, we've moved too far from the blueprint. And sometimes going backwards seems unproductive in an industrialized society, but that's, that's often the solution when we're talking about big ag and food or the way that our bodies have lost their compass, I guess, you know, it's kind of the way that you're connecting to the, the energy within the earth and, and connecting within our own, our own voice, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit. And, and I think that that's a great point because we hear that Becky and I both, one of our like phrases that we use in clinic after we've done an initial consult is I always share it in this way. I'll say, okay, now I'm going to retell you back the story that I just heard you share with me about your body. (laughs) And you need to correct me, course correct me, if I'm jumping too heavy on, you know, how how gnarly that divorce was two decades ago, or if I'm perceiving this to be more severe of an incident or that blip in the radar, you know, you're the one who knows 
how significant these events that have unfurled into your current health story are. And, and you know the ups and downs of them and, and you need to help me to understand the pulse so that I can help course correct and guide your journey. Um, and, and I think all too often we just don't meet clients as their partner. Um, it comes in with such a place of ego, of, of algorithms. And, and that's of course how, how we deal with the the, cat the loss of healthcare, I guess, the loss of individualized care, you know. Anything. Well, you know, here's the thing. Did we have, I mean, in the last, let's say, five to 10 years, have we even had individualized care? I mean, I, we haven't. We right. haven't. It's like you go in there, and I've, I've always been shocked when I've gone in with a friend, because I don't go in, and you, the practitioner spending all this time just on their iPad, filling in slots, you know? Boxes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're, I believe, I know, I know that the future is individualized healthcare. It has to be with knowing what we know about the genome and all of this kind of thing. You know, we know, for instance, that this um, COVID-19 thing, um, I, I just was reading this, it, it actually is much more virulent in Asian males and black people having to do with the ACE2 receptor on lung cells. Right. It, it's not very, you know, it doesn't uh, affect women very much or younger people very much. Um, so that's individualized, right? Uh, you know, I'm not afraid of any germ out there. I, I'm just not, but that's because I had a father who would say, let the earth pass through you and then you'll be immune to everything. So, you know, if we dropped food on the ground, we picked it up and ate it. You know, we, uh, he made yogurt for his patients who were on antibiotics. Yeah. And this was, come on, this was in the 50s and yeah. 60s. So, another you know. hitting the head on the concrete of this sterility movement. I'm like, haven't we had the hygiene hypothesis revealed already? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> What is going on in this backwards stuff? <laughs> That's right. <Yes. laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Right. I want to dig in a little further on specific to women's health, um, the re-release of your international bestseller, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. And as we were setting this up too, I realized I have an old copy, I think from college. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your work. Both Allie and I have definitely been guided um, by that, but it's really a, a Bible of surviving, you know, these hormone transitional periods for so many of our clients and, and so many women. So I want to talk about maybe some of the updates and um, what you've seen shift over the last couple of decades of just our understanding of how the female body works and maybe our own ability to impact hormones and, and impact that delicate, intricate balance of the female body. Well, the first thing that I can say is we're having this conversation. So, <laughs> um, you know, so where were you in, in your development in 1994 when the first edition came out, right? I mean, think back to 1994. Uh, let me tell you who wasn't there. Women like you. Right, right. <laughs> right? Um, you know, so I look at the 30-somethings the now and the 20-somethings, and I have this whole worldwide audience. And at the time that I did the research for that book in the 80s and 90s, 
Um, recovery was new. The 12-step program was new for things like, you know, food and sex and relationships. And we were just getting into the whole idea of recovery and addiction. I mean, other than alcoholism for white men. Sure. Um, and so I was starting to see that PMS, for instance, the women with the worst PMS were those from alcoholic family systems. And it was uh, trauma in the body mm -hmm. that was messing with the hormones. And my colleagues all thought I was crazy. They thought that women with chronic pelvic pain were just making it up. I mean, trying to get attention. Women with chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, that was all in their heads. So I, I listened to women, I talked to women. They would sit on the couch in my office and tell me their stories. And my colleagues would say, we only see normal women. You're seeing all the nut cases. And then as uh, I began to do the research and then as the book came out and I went around the world a bit, I saw that my so-called wacko patients were everywhere. And I call this book now the post Me Too generation. When uh, in October of 2017, when the New York Times stuff on Harvey Weinstein was just hitting, I was transfixed and I do not consume most any mainstream media stuff. I just don't do it. I couldn't read enough because it was as though suddenly the culture had awakened to something that I had been seeing and writing about for decades. So that's one of the most exciting things is to see the number of people who are now saying this approach to the body, like it's a machine and as, and as though our lives do not contribute to our state of health. That's, um, that is something that is obsolete. And we now, here's the other cool thing. I mean, I was friends with Candace Pert who characterized the, um, molecules that the brain makes when it thinks, the endorphins and the enkephalins and the, all of the hormones and so on. And she'd find that there's receptor sites on every immune cell for serotonin and all the rest of it. So we now have way more science to support what women have actually known yeah. in their bodies forever. Only now, you know, there's the if, if you say me too, slash me too, uh, the whole world is with you. Whereas for the past, what, probably what, 5,000 years, <laughs> if, you, if you told about your experience, you were crazy or you got killed or you got banished somehow. So that, that's what's changed is I, when that book first came out, June, 1994, I was terrified to go into the hospital and see my colleagues. I was, I always was terrified that I would lose my license. You know, when I go into the hospital, I <laughs> go to my doctor's mailbox and I was always sure that there would be an eviction notice. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, yeah. it's so funny because now I'm thinking as you're speaking, we probably have, so this is episode 188 of our podcast. And I think we have at least 20 plus episodes just on the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access, you know, the HPA access and that parasympathetic relationship to hormone management. And I think that 
you were chipping at that iceberg, the stress connection, the importance of, you know, yoga and mindfulness. And it wasn't common speak. That was like, woo, such a small population. And now I think that this is something that women are realizing is essential. You know, is, is something that's foundational and very necessary. <laughs> right, right. This is not, this is not optional. And, and so, right. you know, you've got to, it's kind of amazing. Like suddenly, okay, you can't go and see your doctor, except maybe telemedicine, right? You can't be touched. You have been thrown back yep. on your own, uh, your own recognizance, as it were. And, and I know how hard that is for some people, but at the end of the day, right, uh, no diamond, no carbon is ever turned into a diamond without some pressure and heat. And that's what we're being asked to do is to go from a, a carbon-based species to an energy-based species. So in some ways, and I don't know if you feel this, but because of the lockdown, there's these uh, um, energy tendrils that have gone out into the world. So in many ways, I feel more connected with people all over the world than I did before this happened. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Powerful. I love it. Well, we're, we're talking, so that's one of them, I think. It's good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let's, let's share, before, before we go into all of the things that I want to unpack in the, in the current um, climate, I want to talk about, based on healthcare today and women's bodies first, uh, you know, a big thing that kind of brought you back into my uh, repeated scope, I guess, is, is your speak on the Gardasil vaccine, which I know you've been on for on, on topic for a while, but I'd like to unpack for my listeners three things that we have not really discussed on this podcast, which uh, we've discussed a lot of oral birth control, but I'd like to talk about three mainstream, I guess, hormone tools or preventative or health, quote unquote, air quote, supporting measures <laughs> and how they might drive some downstream imbalance. So I want to touch on the Gardasil vaccine. I want to touch on mammograms and IUDs maybe as three of the things that are presented to women today as something that's necessary or helpful and then your perspective on them. Okay, let's start with the Gardasil vaccine yeah. because I remember so well when that thing was fast-tracked. And, and this is interesting. Um, I was on Oprah in 2006 and she gave me the stage. She just said, okay, people can ask you anything. And so a woman from the studio audience said, what do you think of Gardasil? And I said, you're not going to like my response, but I, am, I, I don't think it's a good idea at all. Now, that's only because I had seen so many cases of HPV just reverse uh, with time, with dietary management, particularly uh, high dose antioxidants like vitamin C, E, the B vitamins and so on. And, uh, you know, and we knew already that the vast majority of CIN1, which was mild dysplasia, just went away on its own. And in my own profession, conventionally, we had a lot of people uh, questioning the Gardasil vaccine. And then the next thing you know, there it is. And yeah. they're recommending it for everybody. And um, the, one of the researchers was a subscriber to, to a magazine called Pilates Style. And I, you know, and I, uh, my Pilates teacher subscribed to that magazine. And she uh, gave a rebuttal in Pilates Style to, 
to my stance on it. I thought, you know, oh gosh, if I say something in Pilates style, no one's going to see it from my profession. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. God doesn't work that way when it comes to me. It's like whatever I say, it's going to hit some mainstream thing. That is just what it is. Um, So I, I kind of stuck by what I thought. I had no idea that it was going to kill and maim as many girls as it has. Then I became friends with Mary Holland um, and Kim, um, Kim Rosenberg, who wrote HPV on trial. Yes. Uh, you know, um, Mary came up to Maine when I testified uh, against our vaccine mandate law back in March of 2019. And when I saw what this was doing to girls, I, I was horrified. But let me tell you what horrifies me more. <laughs> And that is, it's been added to the New York State yeah. vaccine mandate schedule. And, you know, and women are, are reporting their daughter had it, had a seizure. And now, of course, they're giving it to boys, equal opportunity. Right. And uh, one of my pediatric cardiologist friends was in the office. And a boy, a 14-year-old young boy, had the Gardasil vaccine. Um, started to have seizures and was removed from the practice in an ambulance. Mm-hmm. How can we? How can we keep doing this? I do. I do not understand. First of all, we have no data, none, zip, zip, that this prevents cervical cancer later. We have no data that it prevents head and neck cancer, and yet they keep pushing it. Yeah. And it, it, this is staggering to me that this would ever be mandated. Um, and then, of course, the marketing has been brilliant. You know, I won't be one more. You never were going to be, you know. <laughs> and uh, one of my friends has a, you know, very sassy 11, 12-year-old. And she goes, you know, goes to a fancy private school. And she goes, Mom, I want my 12-year-old vaccine. All my friends are getting it. Oh, right? my God. Yeah, that's, that's what's happening and you know, in many states, they're trying to remove parental consent for oh, vaccines. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, so. This is this is another um, another thing why homeschooling is, I think, going to be such a trend. Now, I don't mean I don't I don't see most mothers spending all day teaching their kids. What I do see is that those who are teachers will be paid privately. Sure. And I think that that's, that's going to come more and more. But the Gardasil vaccine to me is a disaster. It's a disaster. And uh, because, like I said, if you end up, oh, and the other thing that's happening, by the way, and we've got some data on this, is that those who've had the Gardasil vaccine, the first ones out of the chute, as it were, like in 2006, 2007, are now getting cervical cancer at a much younger rate, because in the past, if you had certain types of HPV, now remember there are over a hundred types of HPV right. and, the, and the vaccine is allegedly guarding against the four main types, um, but there are all these others. So it seems to have changed the body's immunity and so that people are getting cancer much earlier than they would have and the pap smear, pap smear screening is really an amazing tool. 
Mm -hmm. And even with Gardasil, let's assume that it even worked, which it doesn't. Uh, but if it did, there's other kinds of cervical cancer, which is adenocarcinoma of the cervix, more of the glands, not the squamous cells, that that, that, wouldn't, that, that wouldn't get. So anyway, th my take on that is that is a disaster, and I cannot believe that my colleagues are still recommending it. I, I just can't believe it. But, you know, I couldn't believe it when... when Fetal monitoring came in, and suddenly our C-section rate at my hospital soared to 25% overnight because no, no one knew how to read the monitor. And to this day, to this day, we have no data, no data that shows that fetal monitoring does anything except increase the C-section rate. Yes. <laughs> so wild. Be Becky at her uh, second trimester is like, uh, I told her, I was like, I will be your doula. I will go with you. I will, man you, your baby is not being removed from you. Birth center. We got this. <laughs> well, that, are you now, are you in a place where they're not going to, they'll allow you to have a support person in there and all that? As far as I know, Austin is still looking. Oh, Austin, you're right. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Texas, Texas is, yeah. I think you're good. I've got friends in Austin. That's really good. Yeah, good. We tend to be our own country when it comes to these things. So yeah, yes, you do. Yes, it might be one of those places I'll be forced to move. Yeah. Yeah. So let's come see. Let's riff a little bit on uh, mammograms because yeah. I think that that'll be surprising to a lot of listeners. Uh, information that that might be new to them on potential risk factors or maybe why they may not be as accurate as we once thought. That's right. So what's happened with mammograms, and this was in the, uh, the Cochrane Collective reports, uh, what they've found over the years is if you have your annual mammogram, let's say starting in your 40s or even 50s, the radiation from the mammogram uh, will eventually increase the risk of cancer. But the, the part that bothers me the most is that from the time mammograms were introduced, they find things you will die with but not die from. And that's a phrase that I have borrowed from uh, Dr. Gilbert Welsh, who was at Dartmouth Medical School, my uh, alma mater, and he's followed biologic systems and screening. And he wrote a book called, Should I Be Tested for Cancer? Maybe Not, and Here's Why. And uh, what he found was that screening will tend to pick up things that are indolent, like they're not going to kill you, and they would be there on autopsy. So an example of this is an autopsy study they did of women in their 40s who died in car accidents, and they found that 40% of them had ductal carcinoma in situ of their breasts that wow. they never knew about. Now, this is the problem with the newer high-resolution mammograms. They pick up DCIS, and that's the wrong name for it, ductal carcinoma in situ. It is not carcinoma. And so there are those at the National um, Cancer Institute who feel that the name should be changed to indolent lesion of indeterminate significance, you know, like idle, because the name DCIS scares the bejesus out of women. Yeah. And so then what do they do? Oh, God, you better cut them off. Prophylactic mastectomies, you see. Um, so what's better is, uh, thermography and thermography has been around since the seventies. And this is simply taking a camera and testing the heat in various areas of the body. 
and there's no radiation whatsoever. And a thermographic image of your breast will be as individual as your fingerprint. And so what happens there is that you can tell where the hot spots are and uh, all, most all cancer is cellular inflammation first. So that would show up as heat. Then what you do, you change your diet, you get your hormones back uh, you know, under control, you stop the sugar, all the things that lead to estrogen dominance. And then you watch the thermogram pattern go back to normal. So that's actually a functional test that is true prevention, you see. And I have a huge section in the new Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom that talks about all of this uh, with all of the attendant studies, because despite everything I'm telling you, and despite the fact that we have all these studies, there's a lot of hospitals and doctor's offices that still own mammogram machines. Right. And it is a fantastic income source. And they're getting that red flag every time you walk through their door that that box is open and hasn't been checked yet. And that, That's, a lot of <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is exactly right. You know, I, I heard once, this was really interesting. And I think it was in Texas, the state troopers. And they were asking them why, why they didn't um, know more about the sex trafficking. And you know what it had to do with? There was no box to check, honest oh to God. Goodness. And the minute they got the box to check, right? Like if they pull over a car and they're suspicious, then, then the number of convictions, the number of um, children who got rescued went way up. So wow. the box thing is a big deal. <laughs> For better or worse, I guess, yeah. I guess both ends. In that, in that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> let's, let's unpack a little bit on IUDs because I think a lot of uh, women have the perception that this is the maybe better alternate option over oral birth control. Maybe it doesn't you know, impact the microbiome as much or influence B vitamin status or future fertility. And there's the non-hormonal version versus the one with progestin. Uh, what's your take on IUDs in general? You know, IUDs and I have an interesting history because what I remember this, I mean, I can visualize myself. I'm walking in the corridor of Dartmouth Medical School with one of my OBGYN professors. And I say to him, you know, these Delcon shields have a braided string and the bacteria can climb right up into the uterus. And that's why we're seeing pelvic inflammatory disease with this kind of IUD, which was recommended for nulliparous women back then. These were, this was the IUD for the woman who'd never had a child. So that's the 70s. I saw more women have uh, severe pelvic inflammatory disease from an IUD, from a Delcon shield, having to have their uterus and ovaries removed, having their fertility taken away from them because of this Delcon Shield IUD. And then what happened, they finally were taken off the market and sent to the third world. So that was my initial IUD introduction. Then came, and at the same time, they had the Lippies Loop, and then we had the Copper 7, mm -hmm. and then Marina, which has the uh, synthetic progestin in there. Now, what I have found is compared to, let's compare it to, the um, synthetic progestin, uh, Depo-Provera, little inserts, you know, in your, in your arm and all that. I think an IUD in a person in a monogamous relationship with a monofilament string can be a very good thing. 
very good thing. But I also want women to know that if they know their cycles and if they cherish their bodies, it's easy to know when you're fertile and you avoid intercourse with a sperm bearing creature during that time frame. And, you know, and if you're in a relationship where you cannot have that discussion, you're in the wrong relationship. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, use a condom or your imagination right. during the one week when you could get pregnant. Why have something in your body for the other 21 days? Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, uh, get a diaphragm, a cervical cap, use condoms, use imagination, whatever. I mean, it's incredible. It's crazy that we have uh, that women buy this, especially I think the oral contraceptive. And I have a amazing story in women's bodies, women's wisdom of a, a OBGYN colleague, and she said, "I really believe." She said, "When I got off the pill, the rage I felt at my husband during the uh, luteal phase—you know, the time when you'd normally." Uh, get PMS or the, the time when the scales fall from your eyes and you sure. see what, what you've been denied. And she said, I don't know if I'd be divorced if I had not been on the pill because I would have then processed all of that and perhaps we would have had a fighting chance. But as long as I was on the pill, it was as though I'm, I made a sort of monotone, docile creature who, you know, never had a whole lot of sex drive, but I had enough. And, you know, I didn't know what it was like to have that, that ovulatory FSH, LH, testosterone surge um, associated with uh, ovulation and conception and maximally tuned in to libido and the world. I mean, she said none of that magic was available to me on the pill. And then there's the other part that nobody's talking about. And that is when you've been on the pill for a while, it changes your ability to make sex binding, sex hormone binding globulin. And those levels seem to stay up and God knows for how long, which can uh, adversely affect your libido for a very long time after getting off the pill. So we need to look at all of those things. Yeah. And especially because the, a woman's menstrual cycle can be such a cardinal sign of health and be that range or the, you know, canary in the cave, if you will, to tell you when things are in balance or to tell you when you're overcommitting or overstressed or you're under eating or you're undersleeping and whatnot. And I think that having that litmus of watching your body's rhythm and, and that biochemical hormonal feedback is such a piece of, of, a way to find that cadence and to recreate that whole body balance again. So having that fluctuation is such a way to pace and, and to connect. Um, and so to, to mute that seems like muting a, a, a component of quality of life truly, or an understanding of your presence and in life. But again, let me just say that conversation, that what you just talked about, that wasn't available to anyone. Well, maybe <laughs> one in a thousand um, you know, 20 years ago, because the the narrative was uh, you want to get rid of your period as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, you want, yeah. you, you, you don't want that. Um, elite athletes would train until- we talked, Yeah, yeah, the, the Olympics period, being yeah. a start, yeah. right? Yeah, was, was gone. And then they didn't want a period, you know, like, let's make sure, please fix me so I never have a period on my honeymoon, you know, all of that. So it was always- better living through chemistry, always. Um, 
you know, the period is a sign of weakness. We can't be having this. So now, you know, I have um, young women friends who do not schedule anything during their bleeding time. It's so exciting. And they find that they're far more productive. And then my own daughter, Kate, has her um, origin collective community. And she's created a whole journal where you go with the innate menstrual cycle, or if you are postmenopausal, then you go with the cycles of the moon, same thing. And it's very, very exciting for me to see what's happened as a result of this generation waking up to that cyclic wisdom. It's awesome. I think, I think that that kind of divine sisterhood element is, is possibly what we're seeing still, like you said, that deeper vibration of, of connection at this time. And I think that that's a, a big reason why we're all here and at, at this moment. So yes. I want to go into definitely some information on the current narrative of what's all going on with COVID-19 and how we're possibly being, or I don't even have to say possibly to you, gaslamped <laughs> with manipulation yeah. of data and you know, misguided recommendations on sterility, masks, separation, when you know, we're potentially making people more sick, more dependent, more slaves to the Pharmageddon, if you will. Um, but let's have a, a word from our mid-roll sponsor and uh, then we'll unpack. I'd love to hear some of your take on the myopic approach of a vaccine and and um, how that how and if that would be a good fit for how we're moving forward. So we'll take one moment. This episode is sponsored by us, Naturally Nourished Supplements. We provide products with the best potency, purity, and efficacy. And you guys know that supplements are really powerful tools that, under the guidance of a trusted practitioner, can deliver profound health benefits. Allie, do you want to tell us a little bit about the background of starting the Naturally Nourished line? Sure. So I've always been really into the idea that the body requires nutrients. So that means vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, amino acids, based on its biochemical reactions. So when the body is dysfunctional or experiencing an undesired symptom, or there's a chronic condition of a disease state, the body requires nutrients to function. So when we're looking at, instead of just managing and putting a Band-Aid on a volcano per se, we're looking at upstream medicine using functional medicine approaches and targeted nutritional compounds. When you understand what nutrients your body needs, you actually provide it what it is able to use and it will get into an optimized mode of thrive rather than blocking a receptor site and creating a downstream of potential other harmful side effects that we see with use of many medications. So I've always been on the forefront of emerging science to ensure that the formulas that I carry are innovative, that they exceed the standards of the industry. And that means that every ingredient that we source in the naturally nourished supplement line requires much more than a certificate of analysis from the supplier. We actually directly batch test every raw ingredient as well as our formulations at the end before they come out to you. We ensure that our supplements are third-party assessed to ensure that they're free of mold, toxins, contaminants, and on the other end of the spectrum, that they actually contain the stated active ingredients in the dosage noted so that these can be powerful tools to yield clinical outcomes. 
all of our formulas are also going to be available to you at two to five percent below the market industry standard so we ensure that we're able to do this by comparing all the other products out in the market and then we take it a step further by offering you the opportunity to subscribe to our products with monthly or every other month subscriptions which creates an additional 10 percent savings or you might explore our product line through bundled discounts which Bundles are curated entry points, whether we're talking about the gut rehab bundle for inflammatory bowel disease or the beat the bloat cleanse to reset your microbiome. We've curated bundles as a great action place to start and create that savings in there. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and check out all that we have to offer with functional nutrient products that are going to exceed the market standard industry and ensure that you create a formula that works for you, your body, your household with purity, potency, and e efficacy. Okay, so we're back. <laughs> so I want to uncover what really I think was a powerful conversation that you had with your daughter on Facebook Live. I, I think that was in February, if I'm not mistaken. And you put it also out into a beautiful blog, which I will link for my listeners. Um, I want to go through like five vaccine truths in air quotes, right? right. Um, or things that I think the common public consider to be truths or assumptions. And um, for listeners, you know, I've shared that my daughter was, I was, I had a planned home birth, home water birth that ended up as an emergency C-section. And I've shared my daughter's MTHFR homozygous and has no vaccines and her personal story. Um, and it's interesting because I'll get hits on, are you an anti-vaxxer? Um, and I'll often say, that's like saying pro-abortion. Like, no, A, a that's just a very strange phrase. And um, it's pro-body autonomy. And it's understanding the cost to benefit. A vaccine is a tool. You don't believe in a vaccine or not. It doesn't have a higher presence. It's a medical tool. Um, and I, I want to unpack some of the misinformation of, I think a lot of people think it creates this halo um, and, and creates healing and don't really understand the mechanism of action or you know how they work in the first place and, and how they can be myopic. And by that term, what I'm saying is it's targeting one, you know, some are quadrivalent, right? So some will target four different strains of a virus, perhaps, but viruses mutate. And we really need to start having a conversation that's more empowering, talking about the innate and acquired immune system, talking about creating robust microbiomes, talking about how stress kills and blue light is burning out our dopamine and all of these things. But let's let's use your energy to unpack the vaccine element. I, I will digress from my rant. So um, is it true that an unvaccinated child is a health risk, especially to an immunocompromised child? No. Now think about that narrative because it's dumb. It's just dumb. Come on. If you, if you are uh, certain that vaccines work, why would you ever be worried about an unvaccinated child um, being a risk for your vaccinated child. But let me also say, we know that a vaccine does not, will not, cannot prevent a vaccinated child from carrying the germ. It doesn't, it can't do that. And a healthy unvaccinated child is no risk to a vaccinated child. And 
who is a, who's a risk? This is the biggie, right? Yeah. This is how big pharma has pushed it down our throats. It's the same thing with this uh, spandemic, spandemic here, which is let's make sure that we take all the strong, healthy people and quarantine them to, in order to save the immunocompromised, weak old people with the pre-existing conditions. Does this make sense anywhere? Well, that's how they pushed the vaccine mandates through. By the way, the, uh, the California measles epidemic was planned. Nobody died, by the way. Something like 17 to 20% of the strains of measles were from the vaccines themselves. Um, but we have this idea that an immunocom that we all need to be vaccinated to protect an immunocompromised kid, a cancer kid, right? Right. Who can't get any vaccines. Well, if you read the package insert of uh, the <clears throat> MMR and this kind of vaccine, I forget exactly which ones of them have the live attenuated virus, but you are contagious for eight weeks or more following. immunocompromised are the recently vaccinated. And if you don't believe me, go to one of the cancer centers, a kid's cancer center, and there will be signs on the doors. If you've recently been vaccinated, don't come in here. Wild. Uh-huh. That was a really important one for people to hear. So, so you would say no risk for the unvaccinated child, but the recently vaccinated child actually does have a very clear risk, and, and that's actually acknowledged in mainstream medicine. You got it. You got it. <laughs> All right. How about this one? I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with this, but uh, vaccines are perfectly safe, aren't they? Oh, Haven't God. they been thoroughly tested? Uh, uh, okay. They've never, ever, ever been tested against an inert placebo. Gardasil, let's take Gardasil, our favorite. Mm -hmm. it, the placebo group for Gardasil was, uh, had an aluminum adjuvant in it. So the adjuvants are the, the um, heavy metals that actually stir up your immune system to come in and say howdy to the germ so that you can get a, a, an identification in your immune system with this germ brings my white blood cells in here to fight it. So that it requires an adjuvant. And um, so the adjuvants themselves are often highly toxic. And we now know from the work of uh, Christopher Exner that they do in fact cross the blood brain barrier like yeah. the aluminum and vaccines and they stay there forever. So they are not safe. They are not thoroughly tested. And let, uh, let's be clear, everybody, just for those of you who don't know this, in 1986, Congress gave vaccine manufacturers uh, complete immunity from all lawsuits, from all liability from vaccines. And they could produce whatever they wanted, not test it. The CDC itself, I believe, owns 50 vaccine patents. The CDC is a vaccine company funded by your tax dollars. Yes. Now, since 1986, $4.3 billion has been paid out to the vaccine injured. Now, less than 1% of vaccine injured, vaccine injuries are even reported. Now, why would that be? 
because when you take your kid in, let's say you just had a DPT or you have had an MMR, right? And your kid starts to have seizures. It's anything but the vaccine. It's like the doctors are paid not to see this. Mm-hmm. And they also know if they did see this, they couldn't participate. So there's this cognitive dissonance that goes on. So not only are the individual ones not tested, nobody has ever tested giving six at once to a six-month-old. And this is an increasingly common practice. So that by the age of 18 now, with the vaccine mandate passed in Maine, New York, uh, other places, that is uh, 69 different shots by the age of 18. So what, and, and then you invariably, you get the, but what about polio? Well, right. or what about all those? They were on their way out when the vaccine was introduced. Once you understand the science, and if anyone doesn't believe me, and you want to take a deep, deep dive, then you need to read Dissolving Illusions, um, that amazing book by Stephanie Humphreys, Susan Humphreys. Suzanne was a nephrologist here in the state of Maine, in Bangor. And what she noticed is, and, and when you do dialysis on a, uh, a kidney patient in kidney failure, there's a special tech whose entire job is to make sure that the water that is being used in the dialysis thing is completely free of heavy metals, completely free of everything. It has to be pristine. What she would notice is that when her patients got routine adult vaccines, let's say for shingles, pneumonia, uh, flu, their renal function would plummet. And then she, you know, she spent all this time getting their renal function back and then it would uh, plummet. So she just asked the hospital, could we delay these vaccines for a while? And the hospital said, no vaccine, you know, they started in, right? The tape got inserted, they started in. No, vaccines have saved millions of lives. What about polio, all that? So she began to research it like a smart doctor would do it. And she found out that none of what you think is happening is happening. In fact, more people, huge numbers have died of the smallpox vaccination. And in England, I forget the years, the towns where they just quarantined the smallpox people and kept them hydrated and fed and all that, they had a far lower mortality than did the vaccinated groups. There was a huge hue and cry against vaccination in, in England. So things are not what they seem, and vaccines have not been uh, the panacea they've been made out to be. In fact, in uh, Guinea-Bissau, Africa, uh, they had a kind of a natural experiment where uh, some kids got in there for their DPT and some didn't, and they were you know, completely matched. It's just that sometimes the mothers couldn't get in there. And they found out that the kids who had the DPT were, and I might get this wrong, it's either 20 to 50 times more likely to die of something else than the unvaccinated kids. Now, nobody died of diphtheria, tetanus, or pertussis. So they were protected, but it had done something to the immunity so that they were much more susceptible to everything else. So we're messing with immunity in a, a way that nobody understands, and the vaccine companies have absolutely no liability whatsoever. Now, talk about a business to be in. 
Just sure. put whatever you want, inject it into everybody and you have no liability. Now we know that um, it, most of Congress has probably been bought uh, somehow by Big Pharma here in Maine. Uh, we had the citizens referendum to repeal the vaccine mandate law, which passed by one vote, by the way. And I went up there and I became, well, I'm already radicalized, but I really became radicalized because I go up there to testify because my beloved is a PhD epidemiologist who encouraged me to do it. He said, hey, there's no data for this. He'd worked all over the world, has a PhD from Harvard. So I go up with my little testimony. And there are three overflow rooms of parents with vaccine-injured children. There mm. were three times as many testimonies about how vaccines had injured the children. And Maine had a 95% voluntary vaccination rate. Nobody was anti-vaccine. They just wanted the ability to individualize the schedule. And if your kid had been injured, maybe rethink it or delay. That was it. And the whole thing... I mean, it w I thought I was in one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Sure. It just got it just got passed as though these people, whose children were killed or injured, didn't exist, and that the science didn't exist. All you have to do is look at a package insert from the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, it will make your hair stand on end. Uh, you know, and then depending on you know, I used to be an abortion provider. Um, at this point, though, you know what I've said to my daughters is, hey. It's so much easier to get rid of a fetus you don't like than it is to get rid of the toxins from 80 different vaccines. Yeah. And so what you can do if you want to get a contingent of people on the side of body autonomy, you tell them vaccines are grown on the cells of aborted fetuses. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm kind of happy about that these days. Right. <laughs> right. Like kind of against the freedom part there, but we're just right. going to use it right now because this is the leverage <laughs> That's it. that I have. Now, you know, whatever you have to do, because, you know, I mean, I've had patients who, they got pregnant inadvertently and I'd say, talk to the baby, tell them it's not time, you know, and then they go have a miscarriage. Happened right. to my sister. So yeah. anyway. Most definitely. So I think you hit on the uh, question three, which was, aren't vaccines one of the most important advances in modern healthcare? Haven't they saved millions of lives? We don't see that. And how about their efficacy? Let's just hit a little bit on that. So I, I think that there's a disconnect and a misunderstanding, and maybe we can speak in the constructs of what's currently going on as far as I referenced, you know, how viruses can mutate. And maybe just have, let's have the conversation about the difference of herd immunity versus the use of a vaccine in the right. form of uh, right. a pandemic and why one would work versus the other, how they work differently, um, and what's required for robust herd immunity. Okay, well, you know, having the disease, like if you have measles, if you have mumps, if you have any of those things, you have life, right? Yeah. People yeah. like to relate to that, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, you have lifetime immunity, lifetime, which is why, you know, I'm trying to find those diseases like the measles and chickenpox for my grandchildren. Like we would never announce this publicly, but, you know, there's got to be like an underground situation. Oh, my kid has yeah, chicken. Yay, get them over there. Bandbox yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, so anyhow, that's lifetime immunity. But with a vaccine, you get um, this kind of artificial immunity. So let me give you an example. We had whole warships quarantined um, out at sea with all these sailors who had mumps. Nobody gets as vaccinated as many, many times as our service people. Right. And they were all fully up to speed on their uh, MMRs. And they still got mumps. Harvard, 
had a big outbreak of mumps. Everyone fully vaccinated. And here's the thing, even the booster shots don't work. So um, vaccine, and let's just take the flu vaccine. There's <laughs> reports that those who've had the flu vaccine are the ones coming down with illness from COVID and also the ones whose vitamin D levels are suboptimal. Um, so, and, re, and at any given year, everyone knows this, the flu vaccine is kind of a shot in the dark. The CDC kind of tries to figure out what, what's the strain that's gonna hit this year. And then you get a vaccine. And it's about, I think this year was something like 30% effective, right. which means that the other, um, you know, 70% of people just got injected with toxins for no good reason, Right. you see. So, um, and I have no idea. I mean, even, even Paul Offit came, uh, came out with a YouTube video about he was very afraid of a COVID vaccine because it takes 20 years to really come up with a good vaccine. Now, he's Mr. Vaccine. He has recommended that everyone be vaccinated for everything for the rest of their lives. And when this guy comes out, I thought, whoa, whoa, yeah. yeah. So, um, but you know, but let me be clear: there are many people who really, really, really believe this, and so I, I want to be honest that, that because our immunity is wired in by our sense of safety and security in the world, right? There's a whole group of people who will feel better when there's a vaccine. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's, and you know what? That's okay with me. That's they can have it. I just don't want it mandated for me. That's all. Right. Yeah. And I, I think when we talk about herd immunity, like you said, the first thing that's important is obviously finding it and exposure. And, and we've heard more and more as we're looking at up-to-date research that more people have the antibodies than anticipated with COVID-19, which would mean that the mortality percent is even lower, more having it, less deaths. And uh, so it's likely already kind of running its course or run its course. But in order to have herd immunity, we have to be out. We have to be engaging with other people. We have to have community. We have to have contact. And in order to build a robust immune system to not have to require hospitalization if infected, we need, like you mentioned, vitamin D, a robust microbiome. What are other things that you feel like are limited that we need to provide to enhance the way that the body was wired to work in the first place that, that might be at risk at this time? Okay, we need uh, more zinc. Uh, it is clear that the reason um, that this, uh, this thing is getting people is that it takes zinc out of the cells. Mm -hmm. So um, we need more zinc. I would be zinc, uh, liposomal vitamin C, which is fat soluble, or just basic ascorbic acid or ester C, that's important. Vitamin D, 10,000 international units a day, um, you know, until you can get out in the sun. Um, what the sun does for you, by the way, if you are light-skinned, then 30 minutes of exposure over most of your body will give you 10,000 international units per day and the body won't make more than that. But most people are uh, very low on vitamin D, particularly after a winter of being inside. So I supplement with 10,000 IU a day. I get uh, liquid zinc from vimergy.com and uh, because it um, has no taste. The other thing that I like to have on hand is pico silver. And this is a, a very tiny um, uh, atomic silver that fights viruses. 
and you can get that from rnareset.com. Again, I'm not in, uh, you know, these are not companies that I have any arrangement with. They're just things that I like. And that's different than colloidal silver? I'm sorry. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a little more absorbable than colloidal okay. silver. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, for many, many people are having trouble getting supplements in their natural food store um, right. or even on Amazon. But you'll, uh, I can get stuff very quickly on uh, Mercola.com, Joe Mercola. And Joe's been someone who has published wonderful research on vaccines for 20 years. Yeah. Also, all the research of um, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is fantastic. And then also, obviously, I'm a huge fan of RFK Jr. and yeah. also Dell Bigtree. So these are the people kind of leading the charge. And I'd also love everyone who listens to this podcast to join MAMM, uh, -M -M, Millions Against Medical Mandates. Okay. Uh, this is a wonderful group run by uh, Maureen McDonald. And everyone that I've mentioned, RFK Jr., Sherry Tenpenny, me, Del Bigtree, um, are all members because our, what we want to do is create an army of people who are vaccine aware, who don't want mandates. They're not, no one's anti-vax. They just want the choice because we have to be able to have an individualized schedule. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. And how can listeners, let's give a little kind of final thoughts and where listeners can connect with you um, and the date of the book release and all the good things there. Okay. This new book, this is so funny. <laughs> Someone said, I can't wait to hold it in my arms. I thought, oh my God, it's like a baby. Um, that <laughs> and a birth and a rebirth and a birth. <laughs> a rebirth. I mean, this is, a, you know, this is what quintuplets, man. I think this yeah. is now, this is the fifth and final edition, so let me be clear. This is putting a bookend in the big books because <laughs> my last book, by the way, was Dodging Energy Vampires, and it was how to get free of an energy vampire. So basically, that's what we're doing here. We are all getting free from a system that has not had our, our best interests at hand. So that's important. For me, you can always reach me at drnorthrup.com, N-O-R-T-H-R-U-P. I've got uh, e-news that I send out. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram, um, Dr. Christian Northrup. Um, I do more of my uh, subversive work over on Twitter. It feels like Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is a little kinder, you know, yeah. if, you know. <laughs> Well, I keep saying, sign up for the e-letter, sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. Exactly, exactly. So that's, that's the deal. The book comes out, I believe it is May 5th. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Yep. So it will be available when this comes out. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on here. You are definitely a personal hero of mine and Becky's, and we are so grateful for the opportunity for you to shed light on this really important topic, especially at this time. And I think that kind of coming full circle, this is really a time to just pause and question the narrative and hear that innate intuitive voice and, and just sit with what feels right. What, what feels right in your body? What feels right for your household? And to make those decisions with your utmost courage <laughs> and um, shield of of positivity that you can, as best as you can protect your membrane from those energy vampires, right? Or the shame police of oh, yeah. uh, not going with the common, common narrative. 
Yeah, and I think the thing to do is to realize that there really are millions of us, millions of us light workers now, millions. So you're not alone. And I'll bet you've noticed that uh, you have some friends are, are changing. I read a tweet yesterday that was so funny. It said, now imagine it's hard enough to come out as gay, but imagine coming out as a Trump supporter. And what if it's both? And I thought that was one of the funniest tweets that I've ever seen because every one of us gets to come out as who we are and what we believe, yeah. no matter what. And when you have shaming for somebody's freedom of speech, then we should all just take a step back and say, what are we doing? Because we, we're way stronger together than apart. Love it so much, love it so much. Everyone definitely go on over and check out all the resources. We will put links in today's podcast and we will catch you all next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.